It's been said that there have been about 70,000 books written on the subject of child rearing. Many of those 70,000 books touch on the virtues of religious faith and the course of bringing up healthy and well-adjusted kids. But considerably fewer books offer any scientific data to back up those claims. Now, that doesn't mean that the data isn't there. One might argue that scientific data isn't actually needed to assert such claims. But in today's world, anecdotal evidence alone isn't the kind of evidence that flies anymore for most people, and for good reason. Empirical science is their new final arbiter of truth, at least for most people today. It's trusted almost as a religion in and of itself. So does the claim that religious faith can bring about mental well-being actually stand the test of empirical science? Well, we're going to put on our lab coats and our protective eyewear and find out. That's next on License to Parent. Well, hello and welcome once again to License to Parent, the radio outreach of Shepherd's Hill Academy. Shepherd's Hill is a residential program for troubled teens, and our host is Trace Embry, the founder and director of Shepherd's Hill. I'm Rich Rosel, and Trace, of course, you work with kids every day. You see them transform rather regularly. In fact, I think you've said that you see entire families transform, even extended families, mm-hmm. as well as friends of those families right. yeah. as a result of the work here at Shepherd's Hill. Uh, I think you'd say that transformations are a spiritual thing as the result of faith in Christ, but based on the fact that we're talking about scientific evidence, do you have any scientific data that might prove your position that religious faith contributes to one's well-being? Well, Rich, I mean, you know I've always maintained that there's just something about a transformed life that settles the issue for me. Uh, f- for me, that's that's science enough, but... I also realize that it's not science enough uh, for those who adhere to science as their final arbiter of truth. And it's not that kids are only doing well here at Shepherd's Hill during the the year they're with us. Uh, For the kids that come to Christ, and most do, this is a transformation that actually sticks. And, of course, not every kid's going to be the next Billy Graham or Mother Teresa. Uh, In fact, about 3% of them are going to come back for a refresher course. Hmm. Uh, But, in fact, uh, just a couple of days ago, uh, a young man who who attended Shepherd's Hill about a decade ago uh, just randomly showed up in my office and was just ranting up and down about how God, through Shepherd's Hill, saved his life and got him to where he, where he is today. And he proceeded to tell me all the successes that he's been experiencing in the meantime. Got a, got a child and, you know, and, and uh, uh, you know, starting a family. Just, just a wonderful thing. His entire perspective on life and reality had changed. So I'd say that science by itself, without plugging a spiritual component into the equation, actually limits people to their five senses and therefore limits them as to what they can conceive and believe and achieve in this life, and certainly in the the eternal life to come, as we believe it. Uh, Allowing something uh, or someone like the risen Christ to have preeminence in our lives is something that not enough people take stock in today as as in times past. And, you know, I won't bore uh, our audience with with a long list of other examples of how Christ has brought about life change, but... Like I said, there's just something about a genuinely transformed life that settles the issue for me. Uh, I'm not sure about everything that would pass uh, as, as far as the acid test for, for proof, uh, 
according to empirical scientific standards. But I sense that Shepherd's Hill Academy might be a proving ground for a lot of what we're going to talk about today. Yeah. Well, here in the licensed to parent laboratories, we don't just say that we're bringing science into the conversation. We actually do it. And uh, joining us today is Dr. Harold Koenig. Uh, He completed his undergraduate education at Stanford University, nursing school at San Joaquin Delta College, medical school training at the University of California at San Francisco, and geriatric medicine, psychiatry, and biostatistics training at Duke University Medical Center. Uh, He's currently board certified in general psychiatry and formally boarded in family medicine, geriatric medicine, and geriatric psychiatry. And uh, by the way, he's on the faculty at Duke as professor of psychiatry and behavioral sciences. In fact, that's where we're talking to him today. He has published extensively in the fields of mental health and geriatrics and religion. Now, you might wonder why a person who specializes in geriatrics would have anything to say about kids, but you got to admit, if you understand geriatrics, then you're talking to people who have experienced the entire broad spectrum of life. Uh, Dr. Koenig's research and understanding of the fields of religion, health, and ethical issues in medicine have been called upon by numerous national media outlets as well as our own United States Senate and House of Representatives. And that's all that would fit on this piece of paper. So with that, uh, Dr. Koenig, welcome to Licensed to Parent. Thanks so much for being with us. Thank you for having me on your show. Well, Dr. Koenig, you're known for claiming that religion is a key component to well-being, if I got the story straight. Uh, Why is it so important to have this claim scientifically backed? Well, as you said, um, you know, the world today puts a lot of stock in scientific research, in objective research that that is done using the scientific method Mm -hmm. in order to demonstrate objectively uh, whether or not something is true. This is the science helps to ferret out those things that are simply claims from those that are actually true. Mm-hmm. So I, I think that's one of uh, the reasons why people want some science behind the claims. Of course, many people don't understand the limitations and the weaknesses of science, right. which is a non-exact, right. you know, there are lots of limitations. No, I, I totally agree. I, I preach it all the time. Uh, are you getting any feedback from, say, secular scientists, uh, pro or con, about your approach to this? Uh, and I'd like to kind of know what, the, what they're saying all, about it all. Well, you know, um, the, the research methods that one uses to establish correlations and to examine predictions and to compare different treatments, those are pretty much universal. And if, if, you, if you apply the science in your studies that, that have been accepted by the, the scientific community, there, there isn't a whole lot of criticism. I mean, it's, it's difficult to criticize findings that are based on acceptable methods that have been reviewed by other scientists mm-hmm. and have been found to be, uh, you know, correctly carried out, and, and then the findings that come up. So yeah. that's been, uh, I really haven't had all that much. Now, I've been ignored by a lot of secular healthcare professionals and, and scientists, but um, you know, to actually say, okay, you know, you're wrong, 
we have proof in the opposite direction. That actually doesn't occur very often at mm-hmm. all. And in fact, um, recently, uh, the Harvard School of Public Health has come out with research findings uh, that are almost exactly, if, if not more, uh, impressive than the findings that our research group has mm-hmm. come up with. So, again, it's not just our group. It's other scientists in other institutions around the world reporting similar findings. Mm-hmm. So, again, that's the key thing in science is replication. People who do studies like you've done uh, in other areas with other populations without any uh, particular biases that are reporting the same findings, particularly highly credible institutions like Harvard or Johns Hopkins or, you know, those kinds of of uh, Columbia University, those kinds of institutions. Mm-hmm. Well, certainly Duke uh, Medical Center is not a, a slackard when it comes to a high-level <laughs> institution in terms of the work you're doing. Right. I'm curious, though, about terms. For these other studies that are being done uh, by secular scientists, how are they describing the things that you're finding? Because I believe you use terms that, that have a religious connotation to them. How are they describing it? Well, most of the scientists in this field of religion and health are simply calling it religion. Um, I see. And, and many of these findings are true across religions, and so one does not specify one particular religion as having the benefit. Now, having said that, about 80% of the research studies, and there really have been thousands of quantitative objective studies now, at least 80% have been done in Christian populations. So one of the principles of science is that you can apply, you can generalize your findings uh, only to the people that you actually study. So uh, 80% of those studies have been done in Christian populations. Now, there have also been studies done in Jewish, Muslim, Hindu, and Buddhist populations, and it seems like the common denominator with regard to health, mental and physical health, is devotion. How devoted, how committed is a person to their religious faith? And there are a lot of commonalities between these different faiths, but it does seem that to what extent is that person's life uh, revolving around their religious beliefs, uh, their decisions, the way they act, the way they behave, the way they treat others, the way they talk to themselves. To what extent is that centered on their religious faith? That seems to be the key factor. You know, Robbie Zacharias, who's an endorser of this program, actually, uh, both the, the residential program and the radio program, has made the statement that on the surface sounds like it might contradict what you just said. I, I'm not sure if that's true or not, so I'll just tell you what he says. He says that all religions are fundamentally different, not fundamentally the same. Uh, how, how do you respond to that? Well, you know, uh, my my the work that I do as a director of the Center for Spirituality, Theology, and Health at Duke is is, the, is that I, I do research across different religions. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that I have noticed is that um, it seems like there is a common thread. 
I think the ethics and moral values are very similar across yeah. the religious faith. Uh, yeah, I think you'd but, agree you know, with that. But you know, even addition, and, and certainly they have they have different belief systems that are, you know, radically <laughs> different. Sure. Uh, but the other religions really do. You know, I, I go to Saudi Arabia regularly every year, and you know, uh, when I go in the cab from the airport. Uh, they're not listening to rock music. Right. They are listening right. to somebody recite the Quran. Yeah. Um, people stop everything every six hours. They stop work. They get on their knees. They bow and they pray to God. Now, you know, um, I don't see people doing that around here in worshiping Jesus. Mm-hmm. It's a huge challenge to Christianity to challenge us to live our lives around God, which but, is what I'm seeing in some of these Muslim countries. There's an argument to be said that uh, we can be uh, more devoted to a an unjust cause or a false cause than true uh, worshipers are to a true cause. You know, one of the byproducts of, of grace, the grace message of Christ, is is the freedom to reject them and the freedom to go listen to rock music as opposed to, to that stuff. And so uh, is there, you know... <laughs> These these folks over in the Middle East are very often culturally pressured and and certainly religiously pressured into doing these things. Where and secretly, I know for a fact they're out, uh, you know, molesting young girls and, and 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 exercising all kinds of sins that they would never want to expose in public. And so it's really more of a legalistic type of devotion, and those are t- those are the type of things that sometimes statistics don't bring to the surface. Or am I have I gone wrong somewhere? Your your point is a good one. Yes, there there is a lot of coercion and superficial kinds of practices in you know in countries of the Middle East, and there are some people that do very very bad things in the name of God. In Christianity, however, so. that is no different than what Christians have done. Right. I don't see much difference really at all. There are lots of Christians that do horrible things in the name of God as well. Certainly, the devil does his best work in church. We, that, that's a mantra here at he Shepherd's does. Hill. You know? <laughs> and he always has. I mean, he always will. Jesus handpicked 12, and one was the devil, right? So there's, that's true. there's no that's way true. around that. But at least he had the freedom to be that devil. And, and I don't think you can have... You can exercise true love, as is defined in Scripture, uh, if, if there's not the freedom to reject. Without that freedom to reject, I don't think we're cultivating, whether it's a faith, a religion, or, or any kind of spirituality, uh, without that option. I agree. I agree that one has to have free will, and that's one of the most key things that, uh, you know, that God established, that he gave us that free will from Adam and Eve onward. Right. <laughs> and we've been, uh, you know, choosing uh, the, the other side of things. they messed it up ever well. since. But, <laughs> you know, I mean, I don't know what to say. I struggle with this constantly as a born-again conservative Christian. Mm-hmm. So I, I go into these areas, and I, from China to Iran to Saudi Arabia, and, and I, I struggle because I want to, I'm an evangelist mm-hmm. at heart. I want to be able to share God's love, the love of Jesus with other people. The way I do that is by being a representative of Christ. No doubt. No um, doubt. So with that, we'll, go, we'll, we'll, we'll take a break. We'll get back at it here in just a second. Yep. If you're just joining us today, we're speaking with Dr. Harold Koenig, a psychiatrist, university professor, and author on a number of subjects, including 
beliefs and practices, research and clinical applications, all tied to a variety of faith traditions. You can find his books on Amazon. And by the way, Koenig is spelled K-O-E-N-I-G. This is Licensed to Parent. We'll be back with more right after this. In today's digital age, there's more access than ever to digital devices. With technology constantly evolving to make our lives easier, is it any wonder that many feel as though they just can't live without it? Digital addiction can be just as chemically debilitating as drugs. Time in front of a screen can drastically affect the life of your child. For starters, your child may choose technology over simple things like playing outside and engaging in exercise, acquiring a job, and gaining life experience. To learn more about how digital addiction can affect your child, visit helpmytroubledteen.org, click on Resources, and look for the article, What is Digital Addiction? Parenting isn't easy. Shepherds Hill Academy wants to equip you with resources for all areas and issues of life. Discover a variety of ebooks, podcasts, links, and more to help you navigate the parenting landscape. Helpmytroubledteen.org. Is your teen's behavior dangerous? Your child's behavior may seem incredibly volatile during the teenage years. Sometimes the signs and symptoms come and go quickly as your child is growing, but other times behaviors are developed and nurtured that will lead to unhealthy choices. Here are a few items to consider. Does your teen refuse to abide by anything you say or request? Is your teen displaying behavior that's a marked change from what has been normal? Has your teen become increasingly disrespectful, dishonest, and disobedient, and openly rebellious? Go to HelpMyTroubledTeen.org and take the quiz, Is My Teen Troubled? While some behavioral issues are minor and best resolved at home, there are warning signs that your teen may need a more structured approach to get them on a healthy, constructive path. And Shepherd's Hill Academy is here to help. Visit HelpMyTroubledTeen.org and click on Is My Teen Troubled? HelpMyTroubledTeen.org. Welcome back. You're listening to Licensed to Parent, the radio outreach of Shepherd's Hill Academy. You can find out more about us on our website at licensedtoparent.org. And we're talking today with Dr. Harold Koenig. He's a psychiatrist and a university professor with Duke. He's an author on a number of subjects. But what we're talking about today is uh, how faith ties in with our well-being, I guess, both medically and psychologically as well. And uh, I'm, I want to ask this question of, of both of you, uh, Trace and Dr. Koenig. Um, and Dr. Koenig, I'll start with you. One of the things that our culture is telling us these days, it's all about me. I mean, in, in postmodernism, uh, you know, this, this idea of an ultimate right and wrong, of, of a supreme being even, has been thrown out. And so that puts the, the burden of life itself on me. There is no one greater than me. Um, I would imagine that that as we look at the various faiths we've been talking about, whether it's Christianity or one of the others, the one thing that they have in common is that there is someone greater. There is someone who owns it other than us. Uh, how does that aspect of this play into the to the well-being conversation, do you think? Well, you know, I, I think I totally agree that— if it's only you, and every, you know everything is on your shoulders, um, 
you're making your own decisions, you're having to deal with things that are sometimes overwhelming, including addictions, including by yourself, because there is no one else. Oh, of course, your family and your friends, but basically because everyone is self-centered, you are on your own. That's a, that's a heavy, heavy responsibility right. to be bearing when you're facing change and loss and trauma in your life, to be totally, totally responsible for the outcome. Um, over time, people just can't handle that. And I think, you know, I think that's the reason for depression, suicide, anxiety, many of these, these conditions that despite the best psychiatric care, the best medications, those conditions are not decreasing in number. No, that's true. You know, if they're anything, increasing. there's an increase. Well, there's been a dramatic increase in suicide rates in the last 15 years. Right. You know, part of that has to do, I think, with being completely responsible for everything yourself, not having God to be able to help you to lift that burden off your shoulders and help to carry it with you. Right. And it probably doesn't help that, uh, you know, like one in, what, 10 or 20 people now are on some kind of mood-altering drug, uh, whether it's illegal or illegal. Uh, I think that that probably contributes. But as it relates to parenting, uh, you know, I've always said that, uh, you know, uh, parents, if if you want your kids to really uh, uh, take stock in what you're you know, trying to get across to them, uh, you know, when, they, when, when your kids see you submitted to an authority greater than yourself, uh, then it's going to be a lot easier for them to submit to your authority. And you, you, you have the burden relieved to some degree that, hey, Junior, this is my idea. You know, having sex before marriage uh, being a sin, that's not my idea. Right, uh, sassing your parent uh, being is a no-no. That's not my idea. I'm deferring to God, and so it does take the pressure off. And I remember my daughter. You know, I I wouldn't let her do certain things and go certain places. Uh, now she basically runs Shepherd's Hill Academy. But she said, "Dad, it was such a relief to me to be able to blame you for not why I couldn't go here or do that uh, with my friends." And so I think the concept is is uh, uh, is similar when, when we have. Uh, I think that's what Jesus meant. Why I'll bear your burdens. You know, my burden is light, my yoke is easy. Or was it the other way around? I I, I think that's uh, the same concept. Uh, and, and you say, uh, Doctor Koenig? I would agree totally. I would agree totally. And uh, you know, I've I've got a couple of teenagers <laughs> who are now now you know a little older. But uh, yeah, you know, being a role model. That's that's the tough thing. You can say anything out of your mouth. And they don't listen to any of that. But if they see you responding, if you get in a fight with your wife and they see you going up to her and apologizing and yeah. and uh, saying you were wrong and uh, whether you were wrong or not, you know, and coming back together, that's a powerful lesson mm-hmm. that they are learning in your household. And that's the only way they're going to learn from you. <laughs> you tell them not to have premarital sex, that's going to go right out the window. <laughs> well, it's that, it's that old saying, you know, your actions speak so loudly, I can't hear what you're saying, and more is caught than taught. I think that is definitely uh, true, and, and we, we, we need to model these things. And the other thing I think is important, uh, and again, you can correct me if I'm, if I'm wrong here, is that there's something uh, in, in the brain circuitry uh, that adds to uh, the idea that God tried to get across to us back in uh, Deuteronomy 6, 6, and 7, start this stuff young. 
I mean, you've got you know to train your children up in the way you know uh, uh, the way of the Lord. Uh, Deuteronomy six six and seven says, "These commandments I give you today are to be upon your hearts. Mm-hmm. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, and when you get up." That's just another way of saying model it and make it a, a consistent theme or thread throughout your entire life. Uh, can you comment on that? Oh, absolutely. You know, I'm I'm right now in a class in my church on. Uh on adult children, mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, many of them are struggling with the fact that their adult children, you know, have left the faith, have, right. you know, are doing, living with, uh, <laughs> sure. with their, with their partners, and, and, and they're very distressed about, about that, and, and so we, we talk about those things, and, uh, the idea is, is that verse, it's a very important to to actually look at the wording of that verse. Raise up a child in the way they should go, and when they are old, <laughs> they will return to it. Right. So this is, you know, it's it's natural and normal for kids, teenagers, young adults to completely reject whatever teachings they received, but those teachings are in there. Those seeds have been planted. It will take time for those seeds to grow and bear fruit. But God has a way of creating circumstances so that, that they, they start to bear fruit, and they ultimately, when they have to face tough things, those, those seeds that were planted during, in use, that were seemingly rejected, will bear fruit, and they will return. And I have seen that innumerable times. Yeah, uh, we've talked about this before as well on the, on the broadcast. I think the, re- the reality is that God's word won't return void doesn't necessarily mean, that's a different scripture than Proverbs 22, 6, by the way, uh, uh, won't return void doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to come back favorably all the time, uh, uh, it, but it's going to come back with a response, positive or negative. And as far as Proverbs 22, 6, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he's old, he won't depart from it. That scripture, I think, has been a little bit uh, misinterpreted by a lot of pastors out there because uh, when you when you look at that closely, it, it it means train up a child in the way he should go, and when he's old, he won't depart from. In other words, nurture the bent that was given you in his DNA. F- be so rightly related to to me, your your heavenly Father, and to and and as a father to your child, that you know what that child's put on this earth to do and help him in that direction. That is really a more accurate interpretation of Proverbs twenty two six. But uh, we're out of time. We are out of time. But uh, we've actually uh, we snuck in during the break and asked uh, Doctor Koenig if he might stay with us for a second program. So we're going to continue our conversation. Thank you so much. Next week, and we are grateful uh, for Dr. Koenig's willingness to to bear with us yet another time. Uh, Our guest today has been Dr. Harold Koenig. He is a psychiatrist. He's a university professor at Duke, author of a number of books and writings on subjects including beliefs and practices and research and clinical applications as they pertain to faith and well-being. You can find his books on Amazon or wherever you buy his books. And uh, once again, Koenig is spelled K-O-E-N-I-G. Dr. Koenig, thanks so much for spending some time with us today. Thank you, sir.
Thank you so much, Trace and Rich. And we will continue this conversation on next week's program. Meanwhile, if you have enjoyed our program today, let me invite you to find more like it on our website. Once again, LicensedToParent.org. That's also where you'll find links to our blog and our social media connections. You can also join us in our ministry outreach. Licensed to Parent is the radio outreach of Shepherds Hill Academy, which is a leading Christ-centered residential program for troubled teens. But as we've mentioned, it does take money to keep this program on the air and to keep the work we do with parents and their teens going strong. And for that reason, we invite your partnership. To find out uh, more about us and how you can help us uh, to see how you can join in this ministry, please take a moment and visit us today at LicensedToParent.org. Again, that's LicensedToParent.org. Our guest coordinator on the program is Daniel Fazina. Our technical producer is Carl Peets. For Trace Embry, I'm Rich Rosal, inviting you to join us again next time to become the parent your child needs, right here on License to Parent. And remember, folks, if you don't train your children, somebody else will. God bless you. See you next time.